Sam. Yeah, Don? What's the word? Baseball. What is an alcoholic's least favorite part of a baseball game? What? The bottom of the fifth. Where'd you hear that? I I heard heard it through the the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, it's Halloween! The gay high holy days! (laughs) Well, it's one of my holy days when I was drinking. It was one of my favorite days. I loved it because I got to pretend like I'm somebody else and get drunk. Wait, haven't you been doing that all along? I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, well yeah, back, but, you know, several years ago, but you know, <laughs> Halloween, it's sanctioned. <laughs> oh, th- that's true. You know, then the other thing that was like a great excuse for me to get drunk was living in North Carolina in the middle of the state. You know, every now and then we would get some snow. There was a dusting on the driveway, and that was plenty for me not to have to go into work the next day. Oh, yeah. So I got smashed, and work called and said, well, the streets are clear. (laughs) And I'm like, well, but my driveway is covered in snow. (laughs) (laughs) You were snowed under. Yeah, it's more more likely. The longer I've been sober, Halloween has lost some of its luster that it used to have. I still like to put on the cape or something and scare the kids when I give them candy. But <laughs> I, I don't get as excited. But, you know, when I first got sober, Halloween was a real trigger. It was like, what am I going to do? Yeah. So, you know, towards the end of my drinking career, Halloween was turn off the front lights and, and get drunk in the back of the house. Oh. Um, <laughs> so we still turn off the lights. Yeah. But, dude. In my early drinking days, when I say it's the gay high holy days, Halloween truly is that. I mean, it is like the costumes are planned months in advance. And it's just elaborate as it can be. And it's just a huge costume affair. I'm really looking forward to it this time. It's a big deal here in Palm Springs. And I decided to go super simple. I bought a big black onesie that covers me from head to toe, and it's just got a skeleton printed on both sides. And it goes over your face, too? Yes. No one will know who I am. It makes me look better. Well, you'll have a good time then in a social situation. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Put on a mask. That's it. Well, Don, today our guest is Amy B., and we're also going to spend a few minutes checking in with the AA Grapevine Daily Quotes to see if it sparks any discussion. I think it probably will. You know, Amy's been on the show before. I know. We're really happy to have her back. And get her input on some of these daily quotes. So you can sign up to get them at no cost on the front page of aagrapevine.org. We're going to have a good discussion. Yeah, I think so, too. And now a word from our sponsor. Wait, we don't do that. What are you thinking? Oh, yeah. Since the grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazine, on our website, or in our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept donations from AA members. If you want to support Grapevine, visit store.aagrapevine.org. everybody. I'm Amy. I'm an alcoholic. I live in Washington State. 
hey, Amy, thanks so much for like coming back. Apparently we didn't scar you. So the trauma <laughs> was minimal. Minimal. <laughs> so Amy, when did you get sober? I got sober May 31st, 1994. Why did you come to AA? Drinking alcohol just about killed me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good a good so, reason. Yeah. Good you know, like our, our book talks about <sighs> I was sick. I was physically sick. I was just in a bad, bad situation and alcohol quit working. It just wouldn't turn the mind off anymore. It wouldn't dull the emotions anymore. And like I said, was just in a really bad situation. Decided to go back to AA. I was first introduced to AA through the court system, of course. Mm. Um, And so when things got bad enough, um, I had that moment of clarity to, to go back. So I, I came back and stayed. So And having been to the courts, you had that idea of that there is a solution available here that might work for me. Right, right. Yeah, the courts had, had recommended for me to go and had that little slip to sign. You know, I was just talking with someone after a meeting. Mm-hmm. And he said that he did not like the fact that courts send people to AA because it had to be his decision to get sober. And the whole idea of like signing somebody's paper or saying, well, you have to be here was upsetting to him. And he thought it was wrong and broke our traditions, really. And I kind of can see his point. But on the other hand, you're an example of somebody who was introduced to AA. Yeah, it was through the court system. I didn't know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I was 19 years old. I was not convinced that I was an alcoholic anyway, but I think that by the court system doing that, they planted the seed, you know, that, that I had been, was made to go to enough meetings that I saw that something was here. The magic was in the rooms. Mm -hmm. And so when things got bad enough, that was the first place I went was back to AA. I can see both sides of this, but one of the Mm -hmm. things that stands out to me is that, you know, courts order people into various types of things. Mm-hmm. You got to go to driving school if or anger management. These things don't necessarily solve that person's problem, mm-hmm. but it does introduce them to something that is perhaps a solution for them. And AA can't control if the courts send somebody to us. Mm-hmm. AA is not saying, hey, courts, send them to us. Right. We're not promoting it. No, it definitely planted the seed for me. I don't have that story of I was sent to AA and got sober. My story is the seed was planted. Did you resent it when you were coming court order? A little bit, not, but again, I was 19. I was like, well, I'll just get this done, then go on my merry way. But just um, checking off the list, so mm-hmm. to speak. Were you court ordered to appear on this podcast? No. Uh, were you okay. sponsor ordered? <laughs> it was awesome. suggested. It was suggested. So court ordered. We went to AA for a while, went out and played around in the world a, a lot longer, and then came back and got sober in AA. And that was quite a while ago. What does your sobriety look like today? For me, just like my alcoholism was progressive, my recovery is progressive. I'm one of those people that I continue to seek. I'm a meeting goer. I go to meetings. I have this kind of belief that I can't live on the experiences that I had six months ago or a year ago, that I have to continue to do the work. 
you know, I was just writing inventory the other day. So Ah, continued to take personal inventory. Yeah. You know, so, so you about. haven't been rendered white as snow. No, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Cause I, like I said, I bump up against stuff. I mean, life happens. And so, you know, a day in the life today is that, you know, my, my prayer life is pretty simple now. I mean, it used to, I think my prayer life has gone through phases and all that. I mean, it's mm. more, who do you want me to be? Um, not necessarily, what do you want me to do? But who do you want me to be? Through the self-examination and all that, a lot of the behaviors have cleaned up, but the thinking is still there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so the, a lot of times the inventory is more about my thinking or my feelings. Um, oh, interesting. So, you know, I work. Um, if you had told me when I was 19 that I would enjoy working and then coming home and walking my dog and, you know, spending time with friends, I would have been like, that sounds so boring but it's not it's it's not I mean my life is pretty calm and drama free for the most part but I have to do a lot of work to get it there we were talking at the meeting I was at this morning the topic was about being obsessive and overworking Mm -hmm. to our own detriment not taking care of ourselves by being obsessed with work it seemed to me it's exactly what you're saying here. That no matter how now, these are lots of uh, old timers in this meeting, and still the problem exists. And I have to pay attention, do inventory, be prayerful, and that I turn my uh, gaze onto myself. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> am I being selfish here? Under the guise of helping others or something, you know, like I'll get so wrapped up that I don't pay attention to my wife or other concerns that are in my life because I'm so hyper-focused on something where I'm really doing something good to help uh, the community or something, working on a podcast, for example. (laughs) I mean, you're talking truly about peeling the onion here. As we get those layers off, then we start looking at the underlying things. I love that thing about what's the underlying motive. What are my behaviors? Or I love that you mentioned your thinking. What is my thinking, Amy? And you know, what's driving that? Because it can be several layers deep. We can couch some questionable motives underneath some really good looking stuff. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And a lot of time it's, it's fear. Some fear has cropped up. And Amy, you said that you had conducted an inventory just in the past several days. Mm-hmm. What did that look like for you? How did you do that? I do an inventory write out like the book talks about. I do a four column inventory, just like I did on my four step. It's the same inventory. And so I write out what's going on. And then I look at how is it affecting my self-esteem, my ambitions, my pocketbook, you know, personal relationships. And then I look at where have I been dishonest? What's my fear? Where have I been selfish, self-seeking? Then at the bottom of it, I look at, you know, what could I have done instead? A lot of times it's either fear or I'm lying to myself. You know, the biggest person I lie to the most is me. So I've got some delusion about, you know, either myself or the world around me that that's just not true. That's fantastic. So it's, it's almost like, you know, doing that first, fourth step was training you mm-hmm. how to do an inventory. Yeah, yeah. 
how did you get to the place that you said, I think I need to write this out? For me, what has happened is, is that my ability to sit with negative emotions or negative thinking is, is a lot shorter now. And it just feels yucky. You know, it's like, like you said, the, the training from the four step and writing inventory and all that stuff is how I kind of look at what's going on so that I can get clear on it and then take that to my higher power and, you know, discuss it with my sponsor and then go about my day, (laughs) you know, it's, (laughs) it's this whole process, but it's, it, it works. I mean, it's how I am able to live in my own skin and, and live with you all. 10 and 11 and 12 are sometimes mm-hmm. described as the maintenance steps. Mm-hmm. We continue to work those. And so how do you approach step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps? We tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Um, I think part of that is is attending meetings. So, you know, I, I attend meetings. I'm there, you know, and share my experience. That's 12-step work. Yeah. Share a solution and then share that, that this has worked for me. I sponsor women. I am sponsored. And then two, just, you know, when I'm outside in the world, just trying to be as helpful as I can be, whether to alcoholics and to other people too. So, you know, carrying the message that this is what sobriety looks like. You know, I think that sometimes we don't necessarily know who's watching us. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm really conscious of that about, you know, when I'm out, you know, I may be the only reference somebody has about what a sober person looks like. I've heard Alcoholics Anonymous characterized by some people outside as we are ashamed of our alcoholism, which is the reason we're anonymous, a misunderstanding of what we're about. But I love what you say in that how I carry myself and what I bring to the world is proof of my recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing is a person in recovery might be your lawyer or your doctor or your neighbor you know I mean we're we're everywhere (laughs) that's to me that's the gift of Alcoholics Anonymous it it allows me to have a life you know it allows me to to be a productive member of society sure enough it allows me to look the world in the eye and be who I really am Mm -hmm. and that that includes when I screw things up but clean things up And now for our AA Grapevine Daily Quotes. Don and I are subscribed to the Grapevine's Daily Quotes. Like the podcast, Daily Quotes is provided at no cost. They are delivered to my email every day and are part of my morning routine. Sign up for them via the front page at aagrapevine.org. Just scroll down a bit and you'll see that day's quote and a link to sign up. Here are some that Don and I found particularly interesting. So here is one that I really like. I can recall that even as a small child, I had allergic reactions to certain forms of reality. That's from Distilled Spirits, Williamstown, West Virginia, December 1997, AA Grapevine. I had a lot of distilled spirits. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of alcoholic were you? You were spilling spirits? (laughs) Allergic to reality. 
trying to escape reality, change the way I'm feeling, use something to change my perception of what's going on because I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, that went back into early childhood. I mean, if you'd given me alcohol back then, I would have been all over it. Yes, I'll have a shot for breakfast. Thank you. I don't know. It's like, I remember, this is crazy. I was like eight years old and I was in the coin laundromat with my grandmother. And you know, you could buy those boxes of powdered laundry detergent. You put in money and it would slide down and hit a little tray. And then you take the box and use it to wash your clothes. Please well, tell me you weren't snorting detergent, Don. That was a line of it at the end of it <laughs> that fell out of the boxes. And at eight years old, I went over there and said, hmm, and was grabbing it and snorting it. You were. Oh, my gosh. I was joking. I love you. <laughs> and my grandmother came over and said, what are you doing? Which is the most reasonable question in the world. <laughs> But it was kind of interesting what it was doing to me. So, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I'm going to remember this one, Don. Amy, how have your reactions to reality been from early in life? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I think for me, I mean, I'm the same way, even as a kid. I mean, I don't like feeling negative emotions. I don't like feeling uncomfortable. And so change that, please, quickly, you know? And so I'm I'm probably like you all. If I had found a way to do that at an early age, I would have done that. I'm just wired for comfort. So anything uncomfortable, I've got to change quickly. So, yeah. Absolutely. You know, it just occurred to me, my first addiction was as a child, and it was an addiction to lying. Because Mm. it's what allowed me to avoid or at least delay negative things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. And we opened up talking about Halloween being my favorite holiday. It's (laughs) escaping reality to put on a costume and be someone else. Sure enough. Uh, I'm allergic to reality, or at least I was. Now I'm using the steps to deal with it now. Mm -hmm. Don, what's another quote? Let's see. I have no secrets. And I fear no man. I am not anxious about death. I am alive forever within this 24 hours. That's from June 1974, the fifth step, a way to stay high step by step. Oh, and let me read this too. I no longer feel isolated, alone, or without purpose. I feel like life is going somewhere, and I don't feel like I have to know where. That's from Concord, California, 2012. So the first one's 1974. The second one is 2012. And they're really the same. What does this mean to you, Don? No longer isolated, alone, or without purpose. What it means to me is that now on a good day, when I'm working the steps and I'm connected to my higher power and I'm living in this 24 hours, I think it's true that my fear is gone of the future because I'm okay right now exactly as I am. I don't have to be different. I'll be who I am. And I know that I have cleaned up the wreckage of the past. I'm free of my past behaviors. So now what I need to be concerned with is what am I doing now and how am I going to do it? 
I'm confident that I'm going to attempt to do the right thing. And if I mess up, I'll correct it immediately. And that's the absence of fear. You know, I had a number of strokes a few years ago, four strokes. I didn't know what was going to happen next. I had some surgery, carotid artery surgery, and it seems to have worked. I'm not having strokes anymore. Thank God. But after all of that, I had this crystal clear appreciation of the present moment that has now gone away. I wish it could have stayed. Yeah. But it was so clear to me that every moment is precious. So I don't want to waste one moment of time on something I can't control. The clarity that I had at that time was to be able to identify, certainly, do I have any control in this? Nope, let it go. And I, I, I did not get attached to anything that I didn't have control over. And it was a beautiful period of time. I wish I could have that back. I wish we could live like that all the time, but I don't think that that's really being human. Gosh, I remember that with you and you and I've talked about this as well. So I went through about two months of dealing with a life-threatening situation from a ruptured appendix. Mm -hmm. And after that, I had the same experience of, wow, I can really wear life like a loose garment right now. Mm -hmm. There's so many things I can let go of. Life is it, but it doesn't stay. <laughs> it requires some some remembering and, and all that. But yeah, it's nice to have gotten a taste of that because having had that taste, I know when I don't have it and I can consciously try to find that again. Amy, do you have some thoughts on this? And would you like for me to read those again? Yes, if you would read those again, that would be great. Okay. I have no secrets and I fear no man. I'm not anxious about death. I am alive forever within this 24 hours. And then the second is, I no longer feel isolated, alone, or without purpose. I feel like life is going somewhere, and I don't feel like I have to know where. Okay. What popped in my head was my first sponsor kept telling me there's freedom on the other side when I was writing my fourth step. And that's been my experience is that I don't have to carry that stuff around anymore, you know, and even today, you know, I can clean that stuff up pretty quickly and live in my own skin and be comfortable with that. I don't have the experience of having something happen um, like you two do, but I, I do have the experience of cleaning that channel, cleaning that stuff out and, and being okay. When I first got sober, you know, my, everything was just up and down. And I don't know if y'all remember that first time when things were calm, you know, you weren't all over the place. And it's like, mm -hmm. what is this? <laughs> this this yes. is uncomfortable. This is, this is serenity. <laughs> this is peace. <laughs> this is peace. This is serenity. What is this? You know, and so having those moments and, and learning to kind of live in your own skin comfortably. That to me is, is the definition of serenity is, is being okay with what life is right now and not struggling against it. So I love that talking about that first moment of serenity and peace. Mm -hmm. How cool is it to be in a situation today when I'm in serenity and peace? I'm not waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. I'm not in fear of what's coming. <laughs> All right, let's do one more. Don? Now, this one is from our co-founder, Bill W., August 1948, Tradition 9 from the Language of the Heart. He says, I'm glad we have both conservatives and enthusiasts 
They teach us much. The conservative will surely see to it that the AA movement never gets overly organized, but the promoter will continue to remind us of our terrific obligation to the newcomer and to those hundreds of thousands of alcoholics still waiting all over the world to hear of AA. Now, I know you love that one in particular because of the word enthusiasts. <laughs> yes, because I am and most alcoholics are incredibly obsessive. Bill never talks about being incredibly obsessive, but he does say that alcoholics are enthusiasts. <laughs> and I think that's what he's talking about. <laughs> But, you know, what really is cool about this is he's talking about that, you know, we've got two different kinds of thinking, if you will, and both serve AA. Yes. General service is where this really shows up for me. And it's such an incredible experience to be present to or part of a debate, a conversation, the forming of a group conscience. And once that process has happened, both sides are good. We're still friends. We still, yes. it, it doesn't create a division. And this is one of the reasons that AA is still here. It takes all of us for this to live. It's the push and the pull of both sides and get into some place in the middle is the strongest position instead yeah. of being like on a, you know, a teeter totter you know, at one end or the a other. A teeter-totter, a seesaw. You, a seesaw, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can throw out those old school terms too, Don. It's okay. <laughs> Amy, what do you think about this? I like your analogy of like the group conscience. I know that um, there's been different points in my life where I've been the enthusiast, like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. And other times where I'm like, whoa, let's pump the brakes, you know, and I think that the, the longer I stay sober and my experience with general service has taught me my first reaction is still the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I've learned to be like, okay, hold on, hold on. When you were talking about the group conscience, I have the experience of being on the minority and being really passionate about a decision that was made. Mm-hmm. And the decision did not go the way I wanted it to go. Mm -hmm. And so how cool that we can still be friends. But, you know, when you're on the other side of the decision, now my responsibility came to be okay with the decision and support the group conscience, even though I was against it. So that was a yeah. lesson for me too, to learn how to, okay, this is what the group conscience wants. So my responsibility now is to be supportive of that. Group here, conscience. here. You know, I, I love that. I never expected my time in general service to be something that was going to be part of my spiritual and emotional growth. Oh, wow. You know, there's a lot available that doesn't necessarily present itself in other parts of living in this program and in this fellowship. To learn, give and take. Yeah. Instead of my way or the highway. And, you know, I'll throw this out there, too. My experience in general service has hugely helped me in my professional life, too. Mm -hmm. It carries over out into the quote-unquote real world. It's a fantastic thing. Folks, you can subscribe to AA Grapevine's daily quotes at aagrapevine.org. Amy, thanks for joining us today. Again. <laughs> thanks so much, Amy. Thank you for having me.
The Grapevine is looking for your story submissions for Why I Love the 12 and 12. Stories are due by December 15th, 2022. Our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions book turns 70 next year. Tell us the ways this book has enriched your sobriety. Is there a story about using the book that you'd like to tell? How does your group use it? What are your favorite passages and why? Share your story by December 15, 2022 via aagrapevine.org share. A man walks into a bar and orders three beers. He proceeds to sip one, then the other, then the third, until they're gone. Then he orders three more, and the barkeep says, Sir, I know you like to keep them coming, so you can start with one, and I'll bring you a fresh one as soon as you're low. You don't understand. I have two brothers, one in Australia and one in Ireland. We made a vow to each other that every Saturday night we would still drink together. So right now, both of my brothers have three beers, too, and we're drinking together. One day, the man comes in and orders only two. The barkeep says, I'm sorry to hear you lost your brother. Oh, no, no, they're fine. I just quit drinking. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.